Welcome everyone. It's my great pleasure to introduce our speaker this evening, Elizabeth Barnes. Elizabeth is an, an associate professor in the philosophy department at Leeds University. She's also editor-in-chief of Philosophy Compass. Her research interests are in metaphysics, ethics, and social philosophy. In metaphysics, she's written on indeterminacy and vagueness, emergence, truth makers, and the open future. And in ethics and social philosophy, her work focuses on disability and well-being, on which topic she's currently writing a book. And she also has research interests in feminist philosophy. And the title of um, Elizabeth's talk tonight is Going Beyond the Fundamental <coughs> Feminism in Contemporary Metaphysics. Thanks, Elizabeth. All right, well, um, thank you very much uh, for the invitation. I'm delighted uh, to be here. Um, I also just want to say up front that if anyone wants to, during the talk, be streaming the Germany-Portugal match, <laughs> I will not be remotely offended so long as you promise to update me about it during the Q&A. Um, just get that out there. Okay, so feminist metaphysics is a area of philosophy that can seem a little bit like a lonely undertaking um, because traditionally it is an area that faces skepticism at least and possibly hostility from both sides of the coin right uh, so feminist philosophers are traditionally somewhat skeptical of the enterprise of <coughs> metaphysics and particularly they're skeptical of the idea that metaphysics has much bearing on feminist philosophy. So you think, you know, what we're doing in feminist philosophy is uh, trying to engage in philosophical analysis that will help us uh, understand and undermine the patriarchy. Uh, and what you're doing when you're doing metaphysics is a bunch of people sitting around wondering whether there are tables. Um, how is that going to help us <laughs> undermine the patriarchy? Uh, on the other side of the coin, metaphysicians not sure whether or not they'd actually say this, but you get the sense that there's a bit of skepticism of the form, well, feminist philosophy is mostly about seeking to understand and undermine the patriarchy. How is that going to help us figure out whether there are tables? Um, so there's an idea that there's these two areas of philosophy, metaphysics and feminist philosophy, that just don't really have anything to do with one another. And maybe they can you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. Each can go about their, their own business. But there's not really much of an intersection between them. Um, but a very noticeable trend in recent literature has been the growth and the continued emergence of really dynamic and interesting research, specifically in feminist metaphysics. So you've got philosophers like Sally Haslinger, Ray Langton, Mary McCola, Asa Diaz-Leon, bunch more people can keep going on that list, but just um, doing work that can be distinctively described as feminist metaphysics. Um, just to clarify, uh, what do I mean when I say feminist metaphysics, right? Uh, there's a lot of different ways you might construe what it means for metaphysics to be distinctively metaphysics, uh, distinctively feminist metaphysics. So, you know, if you go through the back catalog of Hypatia, you can find a lot of articles that talk about how, you know, we need to undermine the distinctively masculine conception of substance or, you know, things like that. Um, I'm not assuming that feminist metaphysics is anything like that. So what I mean by feminist metaphysics and what I think a lot of people such as Sally Haslinger or Charlotte Witt um, or Asis Fine's daughter mean by feminist metaphysics when they're doing uh, distinctively feminist metaphysics is just it's the application of tools and concepts and subjects um, that are traditionally familiar from metaphysics to topics that are more familiar from debates in feminist philosophy. So in metaphysics, we've spent quite a lot of time wondering whether there are tables. Uh, we've spent rather less time wondering whether there are genders. Um, we've spent a lot of time wondering what it would be to say that something is a simple. Um, we've spent rather less time asking ourselves what it would be to say that something is a social structure. 
or socially constructed. Um, So the idea behind feminist metaphysics is that there are concepts, there are tools from metaphysics talk about uh, properties, structures, essentialism, um, all sorts of things like this that can usefully be applied to topics more traditionally talked about in feminist philosophy and that these tools from metaphysics can help us make progress on questions that we're interested in as feminist philosophers. So that's the idea behind feminist metaphysics. Um, That's the kind of trend in the literature that you get in distinctively feminist metaphysics. So that's what I mean by feminist metaphysics. The subject of this talk is how the growth in feminist metaphysics is in tension with another trend in contemporary metaphysics. So another trend in contemporary metaphysics, uh, and this is some literature that, for better or worse, is sometimes called meta-metaphysics, God help us, Um, is to try to say what metaphysics is, to give an account of what it is for a question to be a question in metaphysics, or to give a substantive account of um, what it takes for something to count as metaphysics. Um, And this has been a growing trend in the metaphysics literature, largely in responses to some skepticism, some uh, very sort of widely read skepticism that uh, you know, the questions of metaphysics are pseudo questions or something like that. Um, so what I'm going to argue in this paper is that a lot of the most high profile attempts to codify the notion of metaphysics, to say what metaphysics is, yield the result that feminist metaphysics is not metaphysics. And I'm gonna further argue that I think this result is unacceptable. So. To begin with, I'm going to take a look at Ted Sider's notion of structure from his book, Writing the Book of the Worlds. I will probably spend more time talking about Sider's view than I spend talking about the subsequent views. I don't want to suggest that this is somehow me uh, sort of unfairly picking on Sider's view. The reason I'm going to spend more time talking about Sider's view is that there's a whole book about it. So there's actually more to talk about here than there is on uh, some of the subsequent views. So that's why I'm going to focus here more. So Sider is interested in what it is for questions that we might ask to be metaphysically substantive. And he draws a distinction between (coughs) questions which are metaphysically substantive, which he glosses as deep objective about the world, and questions which are metaphysically non-substantive, which he glosses as shallow, non-objective, conventional, terminological. A question is metaphysically non-substantive just in case it's not substantive. So this is meant to be an exhaustive and exclusive dichotomy here. Um, So according to Sider, what it is for something to be a substantive question in metaphysics is largely a function of whether the terms involved carve at the joints, which is a notion I'll explain in a minute, right? So he says, a question is metaphysically non-substantive if, quotes, its answer depends on which of various candidate meanings we adopt, where the candidates are equally joint carving, and where no other candidate is more joint carving. Okay? So what do we mean by joint carving here? Well, this is the kind of terminology that gets used a lot in contemporary metaphysics. Of course, it comes originally from the platonic metaphor of the places where the beast of reality is carved at its joints. Uh, We probably owe its current popularity to David Lewis. Um, But Sider says for his use of joint carving, that he wants to use joint carving interchangeably with (coughs) fundamental and part of reality's structure. 
So he's not going to try to define this. He's taking this as primitive. Something is structural. Something is part of reality structure. Something is joint carving. These are all glosses on the same idea that he is trying to get at. Right? These are all the same kind of thing. Right? Um, and so debates in metaphysics get to be substantive, deep, objective about the world insofar as the terms we use to have these debates are joint carving. Right? Um, otherwise, we have questions that are shallow and terminological. And the example that Sider gives of a debate that is a paradigm instance of something that's non-substantive uh, is a bunch, and this example I think is owed to Karen Bennett, uh, is a bunch of sorority girls arguing about whether certain green apple liqueur served in a V-shaped glass is a martini. Uh, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's a bad thing uh, for cider if debates in feminist metaphysics about what genders are, what social structures are, uh, this kind of thing, are classed as that kind of dispute, disputes had by uh, sorority girls about martini glasses. Um, so how might uh, these kind of debates get to be um, substantive? Well, they can be purely joint carving, which is this idea that they're absolutely fundamental, they're structural, they're about the world, or they can be partially joint carving. Right, so Cider does have a notion of partially, uh, partial joint carving. Um, so for Cider, partial joint carving is a function of three things. Right? Um, degree of naturalness, which he says is basically Lewisian notion of degree of naturalness. Degree of naturalness, law-likeness, and then a further what he calls cluster of elements from philosophy <coughs> of science, right? like causal explanation, explanatory efficacy, that kind of thing. So we'll get that back to that in a minute. But just to flag up um, that Sider's claim here is that you don't have to be absolutely uh, joint carving to count as substantive. But basically, uh, if you're partially joint carving, then you can have a degree of substantivity. Right? It's not an all or nothing thing. Right? All right. So. I'm not going to give an example of a view in feminist metaphysics that I think Sider's scheme uh, classifies as non-substantive. I think it shouldn't be classified as non-substantive. So arguably, the most, uh, at least among the most prominent of feminist metaphysicians, Sally Haslinger. Right? So Sally Haslinger is interested in what genders are. And she makes very clear that this is, for her, not a question about what our gender terms mean, how we use them, um, or even what our concept of gender is. She's interested in what genders are, right? And more on why that's important for Haslinger's picture later, right? Um, she's interested in what genders are. But she has a view according to which genders are socially constructed, right? So according to Haslinger, the project of social constructivism is, quote, to make explicit how the world we respond to, the world that triggers our schemas, is shaped by us and is not natural, inevitable, or given. So genders, according to Haslinger, are systems of embedded hierarchies within a social structure. We can talk more about Haslinger's view of what genders are and the details of that in the Q&A. I'm actually going to leave that behind for now, because what I want to focus on is the latter bit, what it, um, when she talks about social structures. Because obviously, for her view of gender, genders are embedded hierarchies in these things, social structures. Her ontology of social structures is very important to making sense of this view, of what's going on in this view. So, what are social structures for Haslinger? Right? Social structures are social entities 
which are created by complex repeated patterns of human interaction. They are not identical to those patterns of human interaction. They are, some, in some sense, caused by those patterns of human interaction. But once a structure exists, that structure is part of the explanation for why the pattern exists and why the pattern continues to exist. And it's part of the explanation for why the pattern is difficult to change. So in her view of gender, right, there can be complicated ways that we treat women, or we treat people who we associate with a female's biological role in reproduction. Right? And there might not have been any particular way that we had to go about doing this, right? but in a particular society, you start having certain expectations of people based on what you perceive their bodies to be like. And the idea is that the more you do that, and the more you have these very complex, repeated patterns of social interaction, eventually you create a social structure. And once you create a social structure, it becomes harder to say, oh, well, maybe you know, we shouldn't treat people this way based on a female's role in biological reproduction. Maybe we should change this, maybe. Um, once things are codified, according to Hasslinger, in a social structure, they have sort of more metaphysical oomph to them than just patterns. They're no longer just the Humean mosaic, right? There's something real, something out there. So an analogous view is what some people who are interested in the metaphysics of economics think about markets, right? So You've got just people trading stuff and maybe assigning arbitrary value to currency and things like that. But it's all a bit loose. It's all a bit fluid. Um, you could easily change these conventions. But once the conventions become repeated over time, you then create a further thing, which is a market. Right? And once you have a market, it's then a lot harder to say, do you know what? I think these little green pieces of paper with dead presidents on them we shouldn't value these anymore. Um, let's value, I don't know, coffee cups instead. Right? Um, it's much harder to change patterns of interaction um, once they have been commodified, once there's a social structure. Right? So that's Hasslinger's view of social structures. So social structures, on her view, are real. And they are not subjective in any sense of subjective. They're not just a matter of like, how we feel about the world. But they are made. Right? The reason that they exist is that we made them. We could have made them differently. We happened to make them this way. Maybe someday we'll be able to unmake them right? on Hasslinger's view. Maybe someday we'll be able to change structures like gender or race or things like that. Right? Um, so that's Hasslinger's view of social structures. And it's a view on which social structures, which she includes things like gender, class, race, disability, sexuality, are things that are real and are objective, but are not natural. They are made. Right? So it's a, very much a metaphysical view. It's very much a, interesting metaphysical view. As far as I can tell, it's something like emergence that she's going after, or at least a sort of statue in clay um, metaphysics. Uh, I think it's open to interpretation from what she says, what the actual view is. But this is this really interesting metaphysics of the social realm that Hasslinger has that talks about um, explaining why we have these social structures and social entities. Um, but. On Sider's view, it looks like we get the result that what Hasslinger has said is, in fact, metaphysically non-substantive, to use Sider's gloss, shallow and terminological. Okay. Um, why do we get this result? Well, explicitly right, for Hasslinger, genders are not absolutely joint carving. Right? They are not fundamental 
They are not part of reality's basic structure. That's part and parcel of what it is to be a social constructivist about gender. You think the world doesn't come ready-made with things like gender or race or class. That's something that we create. Doesn't mean it's not real, just means it's not natural. Um, so she doesn't think that genders are fundamental. It's kind of the point of being a social constructivist. Can she say that debates about gender are <coughs> partially joint carving? Right, well, let's go back to Sider's criteria for what it is, how you get to count as partially joint carving. Um, the first criteria is partial naturalness, degree of naturalness. Um, on Hasslinger's view, indeed on most anyone working in metaphysics view, genders and other social kinds are about as unnatural as you get. Right? It's exactly the point that this is why we go in for something like social constructivism, because you think these things are not natural. Um, this is not a natural grouping. Biological sex, that might be a grouping that's natural. Gender, not so much. Right? Um, so, Naturalness isn't going to work. Law-likeness, it's not going to work either. Um, basic observations about what we call intersectionality are going to make it seem absurdly unlikely that you're going to get law-like generalizations about kinds like gender. So what it is to be a wealthy, white, middle-aged American lesbian <clears throat> is something entirely different from what it is to be an 18-year-old Indian <laughs> straight person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with straight, yeah. Um, so social kinds interact. And they interact in ways that, makes it, that make it the case that there's no such thing as like the woman experience the woman's experience or generalizations that you can make based on what it is to be a woman. Different social kinds interact in different ways so that you're not going to get anything like a law-like generalization based on kinds like gender. Um, it's part and parcel with them being not very natural. Right? What about the third one? Um, the cluster of concepts from the philosophy of science like um, explanatory efficacy. Well, certainly feminists do think that gender um, and relevant kinds like that and talk of social structures is very explanatorily important. But the kind of explanations that they go in for are not the kind of explanations that you see very often in philosophy of science. So the kind of explanations that they appeal to are explanations that, um, for lack of a better word, are, involve thick concepts, right? So appeal to things like subordination, um, injustice, um, unfairness, that kind of thing. Um, so they actually start to look a bit more like explanations that you get um, in value theory than explanations that you get in philosophy of science. So one thing to point out here is that Sider's conception of what it is for something to be partially joint carving, which is uh, a big part of his conception of what it is for a debate to be metaphysically substantive, deep, objective, right, um, is a very, very scientistic conception. Right? And I mean, a lot of this is coming from, we're having a conversation in which people have raised the worry that metaphysics is a bunch of nonsense, right? that there are no interesting questions to be asked in metaphysics. Metaphysical questions are pseudo questions. Um, any interesting um, arguments that you might try to answer with metaphysics should instead be answered by physics. Right? And it looks like part of what's going on in Sider's project and in a lot of similar projects is to try to address this skepticism by making metaphysics seem more like science, um, by giving a very scientistic account of metaphysics. And the result that you get is that metaphysics that's 
a little bit less scientistic, like for example, feminist metaphysics, gets ruled out. Uh, for what it's worth, as a matter of personal autobiography, I think it's exactly the wrong way to approach that sort of skepticism, to try to make metaphysics seem more like science. Do you want to know what kind of questions metaphysics can help us with that aren't answered by physics? Well, questions about what genders are, maybe, uh, would be a good place to start, um, rather than, I don't know, questions about the basic fundamental structure of reality. I'm not saying that metaphysics can't help us address those questions, maybe it can, but I think the metaphysics of, the so of social reality is a clear case in which you think, okay, that's not something physicists are interested in, but there might be some interesting work there um, for metaphysicians to do. Right. So, in fairness to Sider, right, he doesn't say that metaphysical substantivity is the only reason we might care about a question. Right? So he says that there is this idea of conceptual substantivity. So suppose we found out that morality or laws of nature were not metaphysically substantive. Right? Um, they don't correspond to anything joint carving. Osider says these things might still be interesting to us because they're telling us something about ourselves. They're telling us something about our concepts or how we think about things or how we use certain words. Um, so you might think that this sort of person who's interested in Sider's project could just come back and say, well, look, all we're saying here is just that questions about what genders are or what social structures are aren't metaphysically substantive, but maybe they're conceptually substantive. Maybe they matter because they tell us about how we think about ourselves. I'll come back to this actually in my discussion of Key and Dora, but just to flag up that most people who work on feminist metaphysics think it's really important that one thing we're definitely not doing when we talk about genders is talking about the folk concept of what genders are or what ordinary people think about gender or how we as um, you know, people in England in 2014 use gender concepts. For example, it might be that most people who have a concept of the gender woman think that someone who was born with male sex organs isn't a woman or isn't really a woman, whatever that means. Most feminists want to reject this. Most feminists think that trans women are women, whatever sex organs they were born with, whatever sex organs they still have. Right? Trans women are women. And so part of being able to say things like that about gender is to saying sometimes the folk get it wrong about gender. Come back to that. Um, in what I'm going to say about key and door. Right. So, to sum up, for cider, questions get to be substantive if they are either fundamental or they have this degree of partial joint carving, which is a very scientific notion. And most of the debates in feminist metaphysics I used, Hasslinger as an example. Um, but you could instead use Asta Fine's daughter's notion of conferralism about gender or Charlotte Witt's functional essentialism about gender. Most of these views aren't going to meet any of these criteria. And so we're going to end up saying that these debutes, disputes are non-substantive. They are shallow. They are terminological. Right? I think that this is a bad result. And I'll argue more at the end about why I think it's a bad result. Um, specifically, Sider says, goes even further, if we believe a debate is non-substantive, we thereby reduce the urgency of finding the truth. And giving up on joint carving <laughs> diminishes the value of truth. So I'm sure I'm not the only person who works in feminist philosophy who thinks that it was once I came to believe that genders aren't natural, aren't joint carving, 
um, aren't the way the world just naturally is, that I became really interested in what genders are. Um, that I really, really wanted to find out what genders are. It was once I came to the belief that this isn't how the world naturally is, or a given fact about the world, that it seemed particularly urgent to find out the truth about what gender is. Um, so calling these disputes shallow or terminological just because they don't have anything to do with the way the world naturally is, at least as a matter of autobiography, seems like a mistake. Okay. So that's Cider. Let's turn now to Jonathan Schaffer on grounding. I should note that I am not going to talk about the other main figure who talks about grounding, and that's Kit Fine. Because Kit Fine's view of grounding is very, very complicated, and there's a word limit for this paper that talking about Kit Fine on grounding would have taken up all of it, basically. Um, I do think Fine faces similar problems. We can talk about this in the Q&A, but I'm going to talk about Schaffer because his view is a lot easier to talk about in a paper that has a strict word limit. Okay, so Schaffer also makes metaphysics is about claims, but... His metaphysics is about claims are rather different than Sider's. Um, so Schaffer says, metaphysics is about what grounds what. Right? And further, metaphysics, as Aristotle said from the start, is about the primary substances which provide the grounds of being. Setting aside for the moment the exegetical issue of whether that view is plausibly attributed to Aristotle, um, certainly Aristotle did not ever use the word metaphysics, so it's not clear that Aristotle ever said that. Um, but Schaffer's view, which he takes to be broadly Aristotelian, um, is that questions in metaphysics are questions about grounding. And he glosses this as uh, in typical Schaeffer uh, rhetorical style, as uh, the questions in metaphysics are questions about where things belong in the great tree of being. <laughs> All right. uh, so we have two questions, according uh, to Schaeffer, that are the metaphysics questions. Right? The first is of a thing, is it fundamental? Yes or no? Right. Fundamentality, that's going to be on a, a yes or no question. Right? Is it fundamental? And if it's not fundamental, how is it connected to the fundamental? How is it grounded by what is fundamental? So he has this view of reality where there's the fundamental. And then everything else, basically, as he would say, it flows from uh, the fundamental, is grounded in the fundamental. Um, so two questions, is it fundamental? If yes, you're done. It's like a flowchart for Schaffer, right? Um, if yes, you're done. If no, what fundamental thing explains why you get this non-fundamental thing? What fundamental thing grounds this non-fundamental thing? How is it grounded? What grounds it? Those are the two metaphysics questions. Everything else is not metaphysics. Those are the two metaphysics questions for Schaffer. So notably for Schaffer, he combines this with permissivism about existence. So are there tables, according to Schaffer? Dumb question. Of course there are tables. Are there galaxies? Of course there are galaxies. Are there holes? Of course there are holes. Uh, if you ask Schaffer, most any existence question, he is going to say, yes, of course that exists. Now, the reason that Schaffer is a permissivist about existence is that he says existence simpliciter is cheap. Are there tables? Yeah, sure, who cares? Um, existence simpliciter is cheap. What he cares about is fundamental existence. What he cares about is the fundamental. And the reason why he's happy to be permissivist about existence in general is that he thinks a lot of this, like basically the only stuff that's doing any work 
any real heavy-duty work is the fundamental. Everything else is basically, to use the phrase of the late, great David Armstrong, may he rest in peace, an ontological free lunch. Right? Everything else you get for free. Right? Um, so a couple things about that before moving on to what I think is the bigger problem for Schaffer. That might give you a plausible methodology for dealing with the question of whether there are tables. It's not obvious that it gives you a plausible methodology for dealing with the question of whether there are genders. So Schaffer wants to be a permissivist about existence. He doesn't ever actually say, unfortunately, just how permissivist he wants to be. Is there an object that corresponds to every predicate, for example? Does he want to be that permissivist? He doesn't say. Um, so Schaffer can easily grant that there are genders. You ask him, are there genders? I imagine he's going to say, of course. Right, of course there are genders. How many? Does any gender term that anyone has ever used to self-identify or self-describe their own gender status correspond to a unique gender? The internet is a big place. <laughs> and there's interesting people out there. Right? Um, so there are lots of different terms that people have used to attempt to describe unique gender identities. Uh, so there's genderqueer, gender fluid, androgyne, some others that I'm not going to say because they involve dirty words, but you can read them in the paper. Um, so these are all terms that people have used to describe their own gender identities. Do these all correspond for Schaffer to distinct genders? Um, if so, is it therefore obvious that a binary theory of gender is false? Most people who are interested in gender don't think it's obvious that a binary theory, I mean, even if they accept a non-binary theory, most people don't think it's obvious that a binary theory of gender is false. And if they do think it's obvious that a binary theory of gender is false, they don't tend to think so for the reason that, well, when you consider what's fundamental um, and then consider how what's fundamental grounds the non-fundamental, that yields the result that binary theories of gender are false. Um, that doesn't tend to be how the conversation goes. So there's a worry there. There's also the worry that Schaffer can say, of course, there are genders. Because again, he thinks that derivative existence, stuff that's not fundamental, is an ontological free lunch. It doesn't do anything. So who cares if you have it around? So he can say, of course, there are genders. He can't say there are Haslingarian genders. Haslingarian genders do things. The reason Haslinger is interested in having a metaphysics of gender is that she thinks gender does stuff. Gender shapes the world around us. Gender is something that has causal efficacy. Likewise, Charlotte Witt thinks, why else would you be interested in a metaphysics of gender? Thinks that gender does things, has causal efficacy. And for Charlotte Witt, gender is uniessential. It's the property that you have that helps you sort out all the other properties you have. Right? Um, I could go into more about what that means later. Um, so Schaffer can say, yeah, there are genders. But because of what he thinks about the fundamental, since genders aren't fundamental, yeah, there are genders. They're not that interesting. They can't really be particularly interesting. Um, they can only ever be, if you're going to say they're not fundamental, an ontological free launch. The more worrying thing, I think, for Schaffer is that there are a lot of debates in feminist metaphysics that look like they're just not going to count as debates in, met um, in metaphysics according to his theory of what metaphysics is, metaphysics is about, because they're not debates about whether something's fundamental, and they're not debates about how something is grounded. Okay. So there's a very interesting back and forth between Sally Haslinger and PhD student at Sheffield named Catherine Jenkins. So Catherine Jenkins has a criticism of Sally's view, where she basically argues that the Haslingarian picture doesn't give a full and successful account of gender because it doesn't accommodate 
certain trans women. So basically, it only counts you as a woman, no matter what your biology is like, if people, if you, basically if you pass as a woman, if, you're, if people treat you as a woman. Right? So it doesn't allow us to say, for example, that what a lot of trans people want to say, that, for example, a trans woman was, has always been a woman. Right? And the reason why uh, she's going through these changes and you know, changing her name and maybe in some cases undergoing medical procedures and that kind of thing, is that um, she wants her social experience to reflect the fact that, to reflect her gender identity, right, basically. Um, so Jenkins argues that this is a big problem for Hasslinger's view, but she says, look, all you need here is a tweak. Basically, we need a bifold account of gender. We need a two-category theory of gender rather than just gender simplicity, uh, gender simpliciter. We need gender identity and gender role, and these can come apart. So you can have a gender identity as a woman, but your gender role can be enforced on you as a man. Right? Um, gender identity and gender role can come apart. Right? So she says we need a, basically a more complicated theory of gender than the one that Hasslinger provides. So this is not a dispute about whether the entities in question are fundamental. All the parties agree gender is socially constructed. It's also not a dispute about grounding. They all agree that gender is grounded in complex social interactions among human beings. They're not having a dispute about what grounds what. Neither are Sally Hasslinger and Oster Svein's daughter having a dispute about what grounds what when Oster Svein's daughter says that Hasslinger's view of gender is too inflationary and she wants a more human view of gender. They again agree that gender is grounded in complex interpersonal interactions among human beings. It's not a dispute about grounding, and it's not a dispute about fundamentality. So if we use Schaffer's methodology, it's not a dispute in metaphysics. Um, and so we've ruled out, again, because of the focus on fundamentality. Um, for Sider, it was fundamentality in joint carving. For Schaffer, it's fundamentality in grounding because of the focus that metaphysics should somehow be about the very basic structures. We've ruled out feminist metaphysics as metaphysics. So the final case I'm gonna consider is Kian Dor on what has come to be called for our sins, ontologies. All right, um, so this, uh, this is the idea of the language of the ontology room. Um, so Dorr is interested in skeptical arguments against the plausibility of metaphysics or the interest of metaphysics um, that argue that basically answers to ontological questions are easy, right? Um, are there numbers? Well, you know, there are two glasses on the table. The number of glasses on the table is two, therefore two is a number, therefore there are numbers. Um, ontological questions are easy. So these are the kind of arguments that Amy Thomason and Eli Hirsch uh, have been running for the last 10 years or so. Right? Um, and these are the kind of arguments that Key and Dorr is interested in and is focused on um, in his development of this idea of ontologies. Um, he only cites Eli Hirsch, <laughs> but whatever. Okay. Um, so. Dora argues that we need a way to reply to the skeptic, to tell the difference between these sort of easy, obvious questions and the sort of the questions that the metaphysician takes herself to be engaging with. Because you say, okay, you give this easy argument that says, of course, there are numbers because I just use them. And the metaphysician's kind of like, well, that's not what I meant. Right? I kind of meant, are there really numbers or something like that? So Dorr says we should interpret what's going on here as there being two different projects, right? Um, you can ask questions in English, and there what you just want is whether the meaning and the practice of, of English determines whether the sentence is true. 
And then you can ask questions in ontologies. And ontologies is a language whose quantifier ranges only over the fundamental or something like that. Um, so there are tables is a true sentence of English. You can tell just by the way English speakers react to it, it's a true sentence of English. It's not obviously a true sentence of ontologies, right? Because when, we're, when we want to speak only about the fundamental, it's up for grabs whether there are tables. That's something that we debate. It's something that we talk about. So according to Dor, we can either be speaking English, doing ordinary language philosophy, or we can be speaking ontologies, which is a language that's designed to try to map the furniture of the universe, like limb the very basic structure of reality. So um, these are two ways that we can understand ordinary existence claims. Um, we can either be doing ordinary language philosophy or we can do, be doing what Dor calls foundational ontology. These are the only two options that he gives us, right? Um, we can either be trying to limb the basic structure of reality when we ask whether there are tables or we can just be trying to see whether, how the folk react when we ask them whether there are tables, when we ask the existence question, are there tables? Well, what about the question, are there genders? If you're anything like a social constructivist about gender, you're not trying to engage in the project of foundational ontology, as Dora describes it. You are not trying to limb the basic structure of reality. You're not interested in what's fundamental. But you're also not interested in ordinary language philosophy. Um, you're also not interested in just how the folk use the term woman. Right? Um, this is a point that Haslinger emphasizes in her work on the metaphysics of gender and, in, and especially the metaphysics of race. So she says one of the reasons she wants metaphysics of gender and metaphysics of race is that she thinks you need it for a kind of semantic externalist response to certain worries about things that people are going to say about gender or race. Right? So she wants to be able to say exactly as I said before, that the folk are getting it wrong when they assume that you have to have female biology in order to be a woman, right? that that's just a mistake. Right? Or that the folk are getting it wrong when they assume that being a woman is just a matter of you know, what your chromosomes are like or something like that, um, that it's more complicated than that, and that the folk are making a mistake. How can we say that the folk are getting it wrong? Well, if you have genders, and they are out there, and they are real, um, and they are objective things, you can say, well, look, this is what we're latching onto with our talk of genders. This is what we're aiming to describe. But we're making mistakes. We're not getting it right. We're confused. We're sort of grasping at this with straws. So she's interested in the semantic externalist response to mistakes made by ordinary people. So she's very, very explicitly not engaged in ordinary language philosophy. This is one of the projects that a lot of people who are doing feminist metaphysics is exactly why they're interested in metaphysics, per se, because they feel like philosophy of language or conceptual analysis or whatever wasn't quite enough for them to do the work that they wanted to do. And they're interested in whether and how gender kinds are essential or non-essential, um, what genders are, what causal efficacy they have. And they feel like this kind of stuff is more than just a question of how we use our terms or what our gender concepts are like. Um, these are questions about what the world is like. But I think the key, one of the key tenets of people who are interested in social metaphysics or feminist metaphysics is that questions of what the world is like, interesting, Substantive questions about what the world is like go beyond what the world is fundamentally like. So the worry is that a big trend in contemporary analytic metaphysics has been to somehow take metaphysics and tie it to this idea of fundamentality. That really what we're doing when we're doing metaphysics is trying to get at the very basic structure of reality. Is, you know, Imagine that you just had a God's eye perspective. You weren't you know, looking at things from this puny human perspective. And, you know, um, what's the world like in and of itself? And that kind of perspective automatically rules out a lot of views in feminist metaphysics as being genuinely metaphysics. Um, 
why does it matter? Right? Why does it matter if feminist metaphysics is metaphysics? Um, so I think it matters for a couple of reasons. One reason um, is just that I think it's a strange sort of gatekeeping um, to start going around, you know, if you've got prominent figures in metaphysics saying, um, this is our club, this is what metaphysics is, and you don't count as doing it, and you don't count as doing it. Um, I think Sally Hasslinger could easily be wrong um, about what she says about social structures. I don't think she could be wrong when she describes herself as doing metaphysics. She's an expert. And I think what metaphysics is, is in part determined by the views of experts. Uh, so it seems a bit strange to have people in a particular in-group saying, no, no, no. Okay, I know you think you're doing metaphysics, but without that much argument, I'm just gonna say, no, I'm sorry, Sally Hasslinger, that's not metaphysics. I think Sally Hasslinger knows when she's doing metaphysics. There's a really <laughs> interesting paper by uh, Kirsty Dotson called How Is This Paper Philosophy, um, where she makes a wider point about questions about um, what counts as philosophy and worries about gatekeeping there. I think there's a similar <laughs> worry subdisciplinarily um, that we shouldn't try to enforce boundaries of disciplines. Also, it's just not obvious that it's a good project to sit around and say, what really counts as metaphysics? What really counts as epistemology? What really counts as feminist philosophy? It's not obvious that there are good substantive answers to be had there. Um, but I also think it matters just because I think metaphysics needs feminist philosophy and feminist philosophy needs metaphysics. I think the tools of metaphysics can help us make progress in feminist philosophy on stuff that we're interested in. Um, I think a lot of debates in feminist philosophy would be clearer and better articulated if we had more resources for metaphysics at our disposal to talk through them, right? Um, I also think um, metaphysics needs feminist philosophy because I think, you know, some of the skepticism that gets generated about metaphysics is maybe partly to do not so much with the kind of questions we ask, but what we ask them about. Right? It does sometimes seem absurd when you have a group of adults sitting around asking whether there are tables. I'm not saying that's absurd, an absurd question, but it can seem a little odd. Whereas if you have a group of adults sitting around asking whether there are genders or what it is to be a social structure, that seems like okay, that could be an interesting question, right? Um, so it's not obvious to me that all of the skepticism that's generated against metaphysics is about the methodology or the questions per se. It might just be that we tend to pick a very particular sort of subject matter. And it's not obvious that we've picked the, the ring fencing. That's like, oh no, metaphysics only has to be about the really abstract or something is the best way to go. Um, so I think I'm just gonna go ahead and end there. Um, and obviously lots more to talk about, but we'll have Q&A.